Welcome to Urban Dharma, the podcast, where suffering is optional. Hi, this is Reverend Kusla coming to you from downtown Los Angeles, from the International Buddhist Meditation Center in the heart of Koreatown. It's another cool and overcast day in Southern California, but the podcast you're about to hear is one I gave at Chadwick School a couple days ago to the second class studying the book Siddhartha. The teacher asked if I'd speak to the second class as well and speak about Buddhism and perhaps give them a better idea of what Siddhartha meant. The class needed to do an essay. So this is that presentation. This is my presentation to the second class at Chadwick School studying the book Siddhartha. So... You could. Let's do this again. I speak right now? What's up, iTunes? There we go. Okay. I like that. Might be a good way to start the podcast. So, you're, you're studying, you read the book Siddhartha. Are you reading the book Siddhartha? You read it, finished the book, and confusing, made perfect sense. Why did he get enlightened? Did he need a teacher? If you're enlightened, are you always supposed to have a teacher, or can you be enlightened without a teacher? I noticed that was up there. So let me, let me talk a little bit about that. In early Buddhism, they have four different levels. There's the stream-enterer, the once-returner, the non-returner, and then the fully enlightened person. You also have the Buddha. The Buddha did not learn from a teacher. The Buddha rediscovered the path to nirvana or enlightenment. The reason I say rediscovered is because Siddhartha was the 28th Buddha according to early Buddhist tradition. The 29th Buddha will be Maitreya Buddha, and he's in heaven right now waiting to come down as soon as the last person who knows the teachings of this Buddha dies. So, so far, this Buddhism has been alive for over 2,500 years. We're not sure when the last person will die, but I got a feeling as long as there are podcasts, Buddhism will be okay. <laughs> there is something called a silent Buddha in Buddhism. A silent Buddha in Buddhism is someone, could be anybody, Christian, Jew, Muslim, atheist, Baha'i, whatever you want to call it, who becomes enlightened, doesn't know how he did it, doesn't know how she did it simply becomes enlightened. No teacher, no training, no understanding. So we have that category. We have the category of the Arahant. The Arahant, in early Buddhism, listens to the teacher, does the practice, and achieves nirvana. We have the tradition in Mahayana Buddhism, later Buddhism, Buddhism of the Bodhisattva. The Bodhisattva is one who doesn't necessarily want to listen to the teachings of the Buddha, but wants to do what the Buddha did, not what he said. So we have a lot of different kinds of Buddhism. In the same way, if you've studied Christianity, there are tons of Christians, and they're all different. They all seem to have one teacher, though, Christ. huh? And all the kinds of Buddhism we have had one teacher, and that was the Buddha. But then Christ died, and then the Buddha died, and then, in Buddhism's case, all the monks got together and said, well, what did the Buddha really mean? And he was dead and couldn't answer them. So they said, well, he really meant this. So a new kind of Buddhism came up into the world. Or he really meant this. And then another kind of Buddhism came up in the world. And when I look at the Christians, there's differences, but not 
a lot of differences. And when I look at the Buddhists, there are differences, but not a lot of differences. You know? So it's sort of interesting how that works. Um, can we find wisdom within? You know, as a Buddhist, we feel we are already perfect. We feel we already have as much love as we'll ever need. The only thing we have to do is get rid of lust. We already have as much generosity as we'll ever need. All we need to do is get rid of greed. We already have as much love and kindness as we'll ever need. All we need to do is get rid of hatred and anger. We already have as much wisdom as we'll ever need. All we need to do is get rid of ignorance and delusion. In Buddhism, our path is to get rid of the things that prevent us from our own perfection. So we already are enlightened, according to Buddhism. It's just we have lust, greed, hatred, and delusion blocking us from that enlightenment. Isn't that a cool message, that we're already perfect? Now, I like that message, but sometimes if you're from another religion, it feels a little uncomfortable because there's this thing called sin, and there might be this thing called original sin. And some people have asked me, well, do Buddhists have original sin? And I say, no, we don't. We have original ignorance. We're born stupid. We do dumb things, and that's why we suffer. Our job as a Buddhist is not to find God. Our job as a Buddhist is to end suffering. If somebody comes to me and says, I really want to find the path to God, I say, please check with the Christians, Jews, and Muslims. They have that path. If somebody comes to me and says, I want to end my suffering, I say, please sit down. I have something to share. The Buddha, in his time, believed in the gods of India. He believed that the gods of India created the world, made the crops grow, made the rainfall. But then one day he went into the streets of the city and he saw this really old guy. He saw this really sick guy. He saw this really dead guy. And he saw this really religious guy. And he woke up to the fact that our life is really difficult. That because we're born, we have to get old, we have to get sick, and we have to die. None of us gets out of life alive. Man. Now I imagine the future Buddha, Siddhartha, going to a small hill on a full moon night and petitioning all the gods of India to step forward and end human suffering. I imagine him saying, please, you're the ones who are responsible for us being here. You've given us life. Can't you end human suffering? Do we all have to suffer in these terrible ways? Can't you intervene? And not one of the gods in India stepped forward to end human suffering. And I imagine the Buddha at that moment saying, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to end my suffering, and then I'm going to tell everybody how I did it. But he had one more really important thing to do before he did that. He needed to have a kid. He needed to have an heir to the throne because he was a prince and his dad was a king. So finally, at the age of 29, he had his first child, a boy. He named him Rahula. Rahula means fetter or impediment. Now, I don't know many new dads that would name their firstborn a fetter, or impediment, but in the story of the Buddha, it works well. 
On the very night he was born, he kissed his wife and new son goodbye, left them in the care of his parents, took a horse, went to the edge of the forest, cut off all his hair, took off all his princely clothes and jewelry, tossed them aside, picked up these old rags that were lying next to his feet on this path he was standing on, tied them together, covered his naked body, and for the next six years, he practiced renunciation, asceticism, and meditation. He wanted to see where suffering came from, so he took everything that made him comfortable and pushed it out of his life. It said that he would not lie down at night to go to sleep. He would sleep sitting in full lotus posture every night. It said he only had one meal a day. It said during the summer months, the hottest days, he'd build four fires in each of the major directions. He would sit between those fires and he would just sweat and feel so uncomfortable. He wanted to see where suffering came from. And when he figured out where it came from, he thought he had a chance at putting an end to it. Now, when I first read this story, I thought it was just a legend and didn't really exist and people don't really do that kind of stuff anyway. And you know what? They do. They do. There is a Chinese Buddhist temple right now in Northern California called the Sagely City of 10,000 Buddhas. And if you become a monk or nun at that temple, you are not allowed to lie down at night to go to sleep. You have to sleep sitting up in full lotus posture. You only get one meal a day and it's vegetarian. And I went up there. I got to lay down. But I went up there. And you know what I noticed about all those monks and nuns? Every one of them was really tired. They're not getting enough sleep. They are working so hard on finding out where suffering comes from. They have created a lifestyle that's conducive to suffering. That's what the Buddha did. And at the end of six years, he was 99% of the way to his perfection. He had almost achieved nirvana. One more percent to go, couldn't figure out how to do it. None of the teachers in India at that time were enlightened or had achieved nirvana. So he made a vow to himself to sit beneath the tree, later, become, later became called the Bodhi tree, the tree of enlightenment. And it said, according to the early Buddhist tradition that comes from Sri Lanka, he sat there for seven days and seven nights. And at the end of those seven days and seven nights, he became a perfect human being. He never had to suffer again, and he never had to be reborn again. Now, that might sound weird, huh? Not to be reborn again? What does that have to do with anything? But isn't the reason we're suffering because we were born? And wouldn't it be cool if we could exist without birth? And none of us have a clue how that might be because everything in this world was created. Everything. There was not one thing now in this world that is here because it wasn't created. Now, I don't go into why it's created or who. Some people think uh, uh, intelligent design. Some people think God. Some people think evolution and the Big Bang Theory. Some people think the flying spaghetti monster. I'm not sure why, but we're here because of birth. Everything in this world is here because it was created. And because it was created, it has to die. The Buddha, on the other hand, is now living right now, right here with us. You can't see him, you can't hear him, you can't smell him, can't taste him, can't touch him. Can't even think about him because he is living not because of birth or creation. He is living because of his nirvana. Nirvana is unborn. He exists right now because he's not born. Is that far out? 
Wow. So as a Buddhist, when we achieve nirvana, not only do we end our suffering, we end all future rebirths, which takes away the idea of having to ever suffer again. Now, people say to me, well, Kusla, why are you here? Why were you born? And I say, well, I was born because my parents had sex and I had karma. And those two things came together and out I came. But as a Buddhist, if I can end my karma in nirvana, I'll never have to be reborn again. So Buddhism, in a very real way, is all about karma. It's about ending your karma. And in the first place, it's about changing your karma. Has anybody ever seen that TV show, My Name is Earl? Yeah. Isn't that the best show? That's pretty funny. I like that show. Well, if you ever get a chance to see it, it's all about karma. And he's changing his karma. He has a list of things he needs to change. People he was unkind to. Things he did that caused a lot of suffering. And in each episode, he takes his list out and he changes some of his karma. So what is karma? Karma is everything we think, everything we say, and everything we do. Karma always has a consequence. When we say something skillful, people are happy. When we say something unskillful, people aren't so happy. When we think skillful thoughts, we're happy. When we think unskillful thoughts, we're unhappy. When we do skillful activities, people and us, ourselves, we're happy. And then when we do unskillful activities, they're unhappy.